0: Welcome to the new england football show i'm your host john serenitas and as always i'm joined by my partners adam kirchner and kevin stone gentlemen how are you on this fine november evening three days before thanksgiving getting, getting better, better. Like to- yes i'm glad to hear you're getting better adam you're on the mend hopefully uh you get some good news tomorrow maybe you can be out there on thanksgiving morning and uh kevin you're as usual the busiest man in football so you're You're putting in yeoman's work, my friend, and we greatly appreciate it because uh, you are the engine in this machine, if you will, if that makes any sense. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I just, you know what I'm saying. Hey, it's worth it, man. It's worth it, man. Best time of the year. It is. It really is. And of course, before we get started, I just want to take a second here and thank our partners, uh, Block Builders, Built On Relationships, Gold Athletics, Dill's Place and Championship Award. Guys, we want to thank you guys for being our sponsors and partners all season long. And we look forward to continuing that partnership after the season and beyond. And we will be, um, every time we go into a segment, we will talk about one of our sponsors. So our first segment, of course, as we do each week, is the Patriots. And the Patriots are in first place in the AFC East. Who would have thunk, thunk it? I should say, when they were 2-4 and four about five weeks ago. Obviously, we've talked about this ad and This is a completely different football team. They've won five in a row. Meanwhile, the Buffalo Bills are, are not the team we thought they were going to be. I mean, they got thumped yesterday, 41-15 by the Indianapolis Colts. Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns in that game. But, gentlemen, just some opening thoughts here. We don't need to necessarily rehash the Atlanta game, but – Your thoughts on them being in first place and what does that mean heading into this weekend showdown with the Titans?
1: Well, I think they've earned it. Um, You know, I I won't say that all the teams that the Patriots have beat have been all that great. I think some of them are bad. But there's a lot of bad teams in the NFL. I know, Kevin, you agree with me on that one. Um, But it seems like a lot of the favorites from a month ago are no longer favorites. And it feels like the Patriots are sort of – you know, going going a little bit here by and by to the top of the heap, and you look at the rest of the AFC. That you know they're about as good as all these teams. It seems like. I mean, I would say probably Kansas City if if their defense keeps playing well. But man, it, it is really coming around for the Pats.
2: Yeah, Adam, you hit it there. If Kansas City plays defense, I think they're still the best team right now. You saw it yesterday. They only scored nineteen, but we always say you can't teach speed and it's just you can just see how good they are still um but no I think watching the rest of the league yesterday it's just the Patriots are still right there because of the lack of confidence in coaching just around the league um so this Sunday is obviously huge and it is pretty wild that it ultimately could be for the first seed in the AFC I mean we're talking about a 2 and four team a few weeks ago so it is crazy how things have you know, change so quickly, but the AFC is just wide open.
0: Yeah, I don't I disagree with you guys on on two things. One, there's twelve teams with five wins or more. So I, I don't see how the league is bad right now. I I don't know if we've seen this much parity in the NFL in a long time. There's twelve teams in the AFC with five wins or more, and there's ten in the NFC. So I would say that it's wide open. I agree with that assessment. But to say that the league is bad right now, I, I think it's it's pretty good right now. It's when you say that a league is wide open, that means that anyone can win it. Which is isn't that what you want in sports? Isn't that kind of the problem with the other three major sports, where they don't have as much parity as yes. the NFL does? No, I just
1: I just think some of these teams with five wins aren't good.
0: Yeah, like exactly. I
1: mean, like Cleveland. You think right. Cleveland's good? They're like six and four. They, they suck.
2: I don't trust Baltimore
0: either.
1: Yeah, yeah, so, oh, like,
0: yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. But when you you. you Look, if you judge them based on what happened here two weeks ago, fine. No. But no, the reality no. is if you're six and four, they don't suck.
2: Well, you know, suck might be strong, but I have more confidence in the Patriots coaching staff than really anybody else. That's
0: fine. Do. That's fine. And and I that is fine. I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that to a point. I mean, let's not pretend like the other guys don't know how to coach. It wouldn't be in the league if they didn't. But my point is, i i don't i'm not i'm all i'm saying is there's parity i don't think the league stinks yeah. for the patriots to be seven and four and where they are i think they're a byproduct of a league right now that just has a lot of parity there's just a lot of teams that are in the same spot now that being said you win on sunday you're eight and four and they're the number one seed and they're comfortably in first place in the afc with the bills on the schedule two of the next three i mean look this next four game stretch in my opinion obviously is going to determine their season tennessee Buffalo, Indianapolis, Buffalo. If they find a way to win those four, is the conversation going to shift? Or are we going to start calling them Super Bowl contenders? I think it's a little early
1: for Super Bowl talk because it's still we're not even we're we're barely halfway through. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that's in the conversation because they are playing really well, and they just sort of look like some of the old teams they used to have in terms of how they're dominating teams you know they're really um they're really controlling things and so you know i i just i see a couple of teams in there that that may make it difficult but again i just don't see you know a lot of the teams like i like a month ago i would have said buffalo for sure but man they they just got run over by indianapolis who's a, who's a pretty good team so um yeah it's i i don't want to talk, start talking about super bowl it's a little early for that but they're going to be in that conversation, I think.
2: Yeah, the Indy game scares me now just because it's at Indy. And I still think that Frank Reich is a good coach. But um, if you win, if you beat Tennessee and then go on the road on a Monday night and beat Buffalo, yeah, I think you're a contender all of a sudden. Uh, well, not all of a sudden, but if you win a Monday night game on the road in Buffalo after beating a tough Titans team, it's hard not to call them a contender. At least I think.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Now... You know, you said Kansas City is still the best team in the league. Kansas City, to me, is flawed. They've got a little that, They're flawed defensively. I think the rest of the league has caught up with them on, on offense. And we could talk about speed all we want. Speed is negligible if, if you can match it. And I think that teams are starting to, to match that speed. It didn't show up two weeks ago against Oakland, but I think Oakland. There you go. Against Vegas. But I think the problem with Vegas is they're a team that plays a lot of single high coverages. And if you're going to do that, you're in trouble against Kansas City. you got to play too high. you got to keep everything in front of you. You can't give up the big play. Teams that have consistently done that, and Dallas did it yesterday, they, they're they able to, to keep that offense in check. So, yes, it's easy to say that when you have Mahomes and Hill and they did get Clyde Edwards and Laird back and Kelsey, with that skill group you had to me Cole Hardman and a couple of the other guys they have. When you talk about that skill group, yeah, they're still scary, and Andy Reid's a good coach and that's a good staff, but – I think they're flawed on defense. And like I said, I think if you scheme them up and you can limit the big play and make them drive the ball, that's a team that you can beat. And so I, I still think the Patriots, they're a good football team. I don't think that they're a great team by any stretch of the imagination. And I agree. I think Super Bowl talk right now is premature with this team. In fact, the national media all of a sudden adopting them as their as their darling is nauseating to me because a year ago balichek couldn't coach he was an idiot he couldn't draft he couldn't coach the patriots were a mess brady was winning he went on and he won the super bowl and everybody tongue bathed him and and basically forgot about Belichick. now all of a sudden a year later mac jones is a quarterback Belichick's a genius he can draft he can coach it's amazing right it's all about sticking your finger on your tongue and trying to figure out which way the wind blows and right now it's blowing in in the patriots favor But the truth of the matter is, I agree. I think it's a little too early to call them a Super Bowl contender. Now, as I said earlier, I think if they were to, let's say, win all four games in this upcoming stretch or maybe win three out of four, could you call them a contender then? Yeah, I I would think so. Because, I mean, the one thing that's great about football is in any given year, anyone can emerge and, and contend for a championship. And you could say this really at any level of football. That's the beauty of football and why I think it's far and away the best sport of any of the sports because it's so unpredictable, whereas other sports tend to be more predictable. That being said, let's look ahead to Sunday here. Obviously, this is a big game. Tennessee goes out and chokes yesterday against Houston. No one saw this coming. Now, all of a sudden, when you look at this game, and and offensively, they're going to struggle now. Now you're going to start to see who they really are without Derrick Henry. But is this now a game that, you know what, we should – Check it off. Is this a game the Patriots should win now, given the fact that they're playing without Henry and they lost to the Houston Texans yesterday? So I don't know if they're at the point where – I don't know if they're good enough yet to have any
2: checkoff games until it's actually played. But if A.J. Brown is you know hurt or or banged up and can't really go full speed, then, yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee's defense does have – I don't want to say it's way with the Patriots, but they'll slow them down a little bit compared to some of the other teams lately. But offensively, I'm not sure that Tennessee can match the Patriots now, which is kind of wild to say after, you know, three or
1: four weeks ago. Yeah, it feels like Tennessee's very banged up. And, um, you know, I don't think Tannehill's playing particularly well either. That was a weird loss for them to to Houston. You know, like, what? At home. Yeah, at home. It just didn't make any sense. So, um, But I still think Tennessee is – one of the sort of teams in that next tier down in the afc they're they're right there so um i don't know if you can check it off as a win or anything like that yet because i still think if tennessee plays well they're they're one of the better teams i just don't know about their consistency
0: yeah i would agree i would agree with both of you i think that i i I don't think i checked that off as a win quite yet variable knows them well that staff knows them well of course they came in here in 2019 and and to Tom Brady's tenure with the Patriots, knocking the Patriots out of the wild card round. But that being said, this is the ultimate players league, the ultimate matchup league. And if you don't have a piece like Derrick Henry who, who can impact the game like he does, that's a big loss. And isn't going to be a relic like Adrian Peterson or a couple of has-beens like Foreman and McNichols. They're not gonna, they're not gonna threaten the Patriots. So now the Patriots could really hone in on that passing game and keeping Tannehill in the pocket and using creative pressures to get after them, but also not allow them to break contain. So I I think the Patriots are going to win this football game. I really do. I think they're the better team right now. They're the healthier team. And I think this is an opportunity for them to make a statement. And when we look at this season, I still think this is a team that really needs that defining signature win. I know a lot of people are going to say, well, you know, they have their, their chances against Dallas and Tampa Bay and everything else. And, But the bottom line is this you beat Tennessee, that's going to get people's attention. Patriots are already getting people's attention, but I think a win against Tennessee is a big deal. Beating the Chargers like they did a couple weeks ago, that's nice, but that's the Chargers. I mean, I think beating a team like Tennessee, who going into the season looked like a perennial contender, uh, I, I think to me that would be a bigger win for them. And again, I think it's going to come down to their ability to pressure Tannehill, keep him in the pocket. And then offensively, how do you deal with that front? That front is pretty good. They struggled last year, but Simmons has picked up his game at D-tackle. They signed Bud Dupree, Harold Landry, former BC product. He's playing better. That front seven can give you problems. So how they handle their edge pressure and Simmons inside and pass pro, I think is going to be a big key to that game. But I still think, despite that, despite their – Ability to win on the road, and Tennessee has proven they can do that. They went out and won in LA two weeks ago against the Rams. Despite that, I think the Patriots are going to win this game. Now, I'm not going to get into scores or by how much, but I do believe the Patriots are going to win this football game. All right, let's um let's pivot here. But before we do that, let's take an opportunity here to thank one of our sponsors, Block Builders, built on relationships. Now, let's shift here to UMass. And normally This part of the show, we might talk about the BC Eagles, but the bigger story of the day, in my opinion at least, is UMass makes it official. They have hired Don Brown. He's back. Dr. Blitz, as he's known. Uh, Dr. Regression, he's got about 8 million names around here. But Don Brown is back. And this was, I think, kind of anticlimactic in many ways, only because I think we all felt that as long as the money was right, apparently it must be, he was going to come back. He made it very clear he wanted to be back in the area. He's got his family here. He's from Spencer, Mass. This, in my opinion, is a home run hire for you, Mass. This is what you need right now. I know a lot of people would have preferred, not, not a lot of people, but some people, I should say, might have preferred someone that's younger and might have some staying power. doesn't matter to me that Brown is 66. He's a proven coach. He's a proven coordinator. He's won there before. He took them to a national championship in 06. I don't think they could have hired anyone better than him. He is a great hire for them. Your thoughts on the hire, and let's do some projecting here as to what we think he could do for this program, Adam, starting with you. Um, I agree with you. I think this is a home run
1: because from everyone that I talked to, he was the number one target here. So they're not getting their third or fourth or fifth best choice. They're getting their number one choice, and I think that was – you know, all the signs pointed to that, at least from what I was told. I'm sure you as well. But yeah, I mean, look, Don. Look, I've covered high school football and college football and recruiting and stuff like that for a while now. I've never seen anybody resonate with kids from around here like they do with Don Brown. Nobody. I mean, he's it's like a magic wand where he puts over a kid's eyes, and you know, they just want to go where where he is. He's a genuine guy. He's the real deal. Um, I think he's exactly what this program needs right now. Um, so I don't know what he's gonna be able to accomplish. I don't it, i I think there's a lot of work to be done, so I don't want to put any undue expectations, but I do think he will leave the program in a better uh, spot than it was taken. um I, I I just have a lot of belief in Don Brown. I
2: think the simplest way to look at it, is you now have someone that wanted to come here. I mean, he didn't have to come back and leave Arizona. Um, that's, a, that's a nice little gig out there. So the fact that he wanted to come back and, and wants to build the program back up, I think, again, you mentioned you said hope on hire. You can't ask for a a more a better fit. You know, if you have someone that now not only has, has been one of the best recruiters in the state or best recruiters in the area or of the area for years now, But you have a guy who, again, wants the program to to succeed and also knows how they operate. Like, you're not starting from scratch with him. So, again, everything just fits.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think he's a tremendous hire for a variety of reasons. I think, one, he gives you instant credibility. Two, Kevin, I think you bring up a great point. He understands the lay of the land. He understands how UMass works. He understands what the expectations are there. He understands the fan base. And I think three, the recruiting piece is huge. I mean, one of the criticisms of Walt Bell is, is that they didn't really connect with the Massachusetts coaches and kids or the New England kids. They may tell you otherwise, but they didn't. i talked to a lot of high school coaches privately that have said to me, look, they don't come around as much as they should. And yeah, part of that was COVID. They, they, they did acknowledge that COVID was the reason. A lot of colleges didn't recruit in, in person. But the reality is they didn't feel that there was that connection there from the beginning. That was their bigger issue, that more than that they didn't come around. And so I think, to me, this hire is a home run hire because regardless of the circumstances and what's going on in the world right now, Don Brown has instant credibility with the Mass High School coaches. He has credibility with New England high school coaches in general. So that's going to go a long way. They're going to be willing to advocate for their kids to go to UMass, which is something that I'm not sure was necessary going on under Bell, it probably went on under Whipple, and it did not go on under Molnar. Look, I was the head coach at Nolan High School when Molnar was here, and Shane Waldron is the offensive coordinator of the Seattle Seahawks now. He was a recruiting coordinator. He would come around and recruit. Shane busted his ass. Their staff busted their ass, but kids didn't necessarily love Molnar, and so in my opinion, I think what it comes down to is you bring back a guy Who's, who has this godfather-like persona to the UMass faithful. They just, they they just It's almost like he's a cult hero to them. And, yes, I agree with you, Adam. I think we need to temper the expectations. This, this is a clear-cut rebuild now. And now Brown has enough cachet locally and nationally that I think kids are going to want to enter the transfer portal and come here, or kids that are in the transfer portal are going to want to come here. I think he's going to be able to get some players through the portal. I think he's going to be able to pick up some players through the Juco route, but I think his most important contribution, at least in the beginning, is going to be he's going to reestablish coaching ties with the coaches in the region, and that is huge. He's got the national coaching ties. He has a presence in the DMV. He has a presence in the Midwest, but now he's going to open the door again. Not that it was closed, but I think he's He's got that relationship. So it's gonna be easier for kids and coaches to come to UMass now. They're gonna to wanna to come to UMass. So it'll be interesting to see. I know there was some speculation on Twitter. Will uh Tyler Martin follow him now and Dika, de- you know, and and leave Arizona to come to, to Massachusetts. I don't see that happening, but you never know. Uh he certainly when we had him on the recruiting visit over the spring, he openly gushed about his relationship with Brown and basically said that. He's the reason I picked Michigan, and if I end up going to Arizona, he'll be the reason. So I think Brown has that natural ability to connect with kids and build a a relationship with them. Like I said, I think this is a home run hire, and no matter what happens, and and a lot of people will point to the Mark Whipple hire. They were competitive under Whip. I think that's important. The second time Whipple came around, they were competitive. They were nowhere near as bad as they've been the last three years. They yeah. were a much more competitive program, and I think Don's going to make them a much more competitive program. And I will just say this before I bounce it back to you guys. Somebody on Twitter said this, and I thought it was a great comp. He said that this was akin to Kansas State hiring Bill Snyder again for yeah. his second tour of duty, and he turned that program back around. Yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think if, he, if he's given the time, Don Brown's going to get this program turned around again.
1: Yeah, I agree. That's a great point. That's a great comparison, too. I didn't think of that. Um, Yeah, Donnie, look, he's got a great relationship with the coaches here. Um, He's an excellent recruiter. And, again, you can't really build a team without being a great recruiter. You know what I mean? That's the name of the game, game. and he really connects with these kids. They love him. And, uh, you know, it's easy to see why. So I think – you know, again, like I don't want to put like I mean you and the other thing you said that I really agree with was Whipple had them competitive. He did. He had them competitive with good teams. Like they went down mm-hmm. to SEC stadiums and competed and had like good close games with Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, teams like that. I mean, looking back on it, you you'll take that. You know, um, so I don't know what win total it's gonna be. I don't know. You know, like I I do feel though confident that things are gonna go okay like like he's gonna get them back on track uh but I don't know what that looks like from a one loss perspective because they're they uh their schedules are pretty tough so uh we'll see I just think this UMass they went you know head on at Brown from the beginning of this process and they got him I think it was just a great job of getting him
2: yeah I think the other thing too in dealing with the fan base. I feel like he's a guy that just won't care what everyone else thinks. You know, he's been around for so long; he might have more patience, and honestly, they might have more patience with him. At least it feels that way for now.
0: Yeah, I agree. They absolutely will. They love the guy, and they're and by and large, when you look at the reaction on Twitter today, I mean, I, yeah. who who's who's mad that he's back? I mean, no no is one crazy? is going to complain that he's back. And you know, and I will say this: that that there are a lot of UMass fans that are looking at this from the standpoint of it's a, it's, it's a period of time that he's going to be here. It's probably a four to five year window. He is 66. I don't want to speculate on how long he's going to coach. I mean, he loves it. He's a junkie, but I mean, he's going to be around here long enough that he can get this thing back on track and in a good place so that whoever does take over for him inherits a program that can be competitive. My hope is they keep Alex Miller. I would imagine they will. Um, And it'll be interesting to see who comes along with him. It'll be interesting to see if Dudzinski comes with him from Arizona to possibly be his defensive coordinator. Um, I'm curious to see who he hires as an offensive coordinator. That's his biggest hire, in my opinion. He's a defensive guy. So on the defensive side of the ball, if he went a little inexperienced, it would be okay because he can make up for it. But who he hires as his OC I think is huge because as bad as their defense was the last three years, their offense wasn't any better, in my opinion. They struggled to move the ball, and Bell was an offensive coach. So um, they struggled to move the ball. They struggled to score points. And I'm not going to sit here and be critical of the play design or what they did or didn't do, but the bottom line is they weren't good. And so I think he has to make the right hire here. He has to make a hire that, that is going to come in and put in a system that works for the talent that's in place there now but also put in a system that can grow as the talent improves. Um, but yeah, no, th- there's no question in my mind. He's the right guy. I've been around Don Brown as a coach when he was at Northeastern, when he was at BC. Uh, the thing I love about him is he—he's just his intensity, his passion for the game. And I swear—and and I swear, no pun intended—he gets paid by the swear. He's got quite the mouth on him. But that's—that's that's what people love about him. You know, it's what you see, it's what you get. There's no. There's no um, mincing words with Don Brown. So we'll see how it plays out. But um, the only other thing I would say, and I, and I agree with you, Adam, people just need to – let's temper our expectations. This is going to take a little bit of time. All right, before we um, move on to our next topic, which is the Boston College Eagles, I do want to take this time to thank one of our other sponsors, Gold Athletics. There's a goldathletics.net today to see the various recruiting options that Matt Ross and his team has. Pick one that works for you and your program and get yourself on the road to raising money in no time. Visit goldathletics.net. All right, tough one Saturday at the Heights. Boston College Eagles lose to Florida State 26-23. Florida State dominated the majority of the game, but the Eagles made a late push in the second half. Fortunately, they fell just short. This is a game that I think, by and large, we all agreed they should have won. Florida State's playing better, but they're still not – nearly they're a shell of the program they once were but this one's a tough loss this is a game that i think a lot of people felt they should have won and and they they missed a, a golden opportunity here thoughts on on the loss and what does it mean for them moving forward into saturday season finale so everything
2: about the day was flat um crowd no showed it the announced attendance was thirty i'd say maybe 30 you know probably um from the opening kick, it was flat, and, you know, BC was down 19-3 at the half. They looked every bit down 19-3. we um, talked about it. Uh, he's talked about needing to, quote-unquote, coach better in the first half. And, um, yeah, they showed some fight in the second half, and the defense looked like um, a defense we thought it should look like against Florida State. But the offensive line did no favors for Phil Jacobic. Um He was on his back almost all day. Um, couple big plays here and there today. But other than that, it was just a dud, a complete dud. And um, at that point, again, I wrote about this on, you know, Saturday, Sunday morning, that's the kind of loss that just, it takes you right back to, you know, this again, if, if you're a BC fan, it's again, the six and five and it they variable might be six and six again. And, and then all of a sudden it's the same old BC again. So that was just honestly, I, I thought it was worse than the NC state loss. And we talked about that loss being, you know, a backbreaker in terms of just killing the momentum they had built with the fan base and, and the
0: students. I think this one was worse. So piggybacking off of what Kevin said, if let's say they were to lose on Saturday, go six and six, when you go back and think about the expectations that we had and people around here had for this program at the start of the season, how disappointing is that for them?
2: So, I mean, it's tough because obviously you lost COVID for those four weeks, but even still, They've lost a couple of games they shouldn't have lost. So um, I think it's uh, again. I wrote about this the other day. It's hard to say this is anything but a letdown here again.
1: Yeah, I um I watched the game and it was as the game played on, I was like maybe a BC shouldn't have been the favorite because I thought Florida State was just better. Like they they couldn't block those defensive ends. <laughs> They were they were flying in there on Dracovic. And look, if you're gonna have one unit from the team for BC that you're gonna have confidence in, it's gonna be the offensive line, right? Yeah. Not not the case, man. They were not blocking them at all. And, you know, it just it just looked bad. Um it wasn't really that competitive in the first half. It looked really bad. They you know they they played better in the second half and maybe had they played that way in the first half they won. But I just I was just sort of struck by, like, after all this, they are not, from a personnel standpoint, above these other, like, sort no. of mid, mid-range ACC teams. They're still, they're still, you know, in that group.
2: Yeah, and real quick, too. Florida State had 13 penalties for, like, 120 yards. You know, they did everything they could to hand BC the game on several drives, including the last one, and BC still couldn't, you know, overcome it. So just just a bad day overall.
0: Yeah, I, I, and again I think it's disappointing because I think the expectations were so high. Certainly none of us envisioned Jacob getting hurt and missing a month. That obviously has to factor into it, but he's back and he obviously gave them a real boost when he came back. They beat Virginia Tech, they beat Georgia Tech, they got back on track. They were 6 and 4. And at that point you thought, well they can win this game. And then when you wake Forest was going to be a battle, but excuse me First time I've ever sneezed on the air. <laughs> um, but that being said, it, it's a disappointment. No matter how you slice it, even if they were to win on Saturday, I still think it's a disappointment. This is a team that coming into the season, we were talking about possibly winning eight to ten games. Yeah. And the ACC was wide open. I mean, if, this, if you couldn't get it done this year, where Clemson is down and the ACC is okay. wide open, then when are you ever gonna compete in the ACC? That, right? They, I mean, they, that's the that's the hard part if you're a BC Eagles fan right now. Yeah. It's a Sunway bowl written all over him
2: right now. And that that bowl itself, when it was first kind of signed on, it felt like a bowl between five hundred teams. <laughs> you know, like it's just it feels like they're above that. And right now they're destined for it. Well,
0: I don't yeah. know if I'd say, I mean, what what would lead so, you to believe they're above that right no, now? Like no, first no, of say- all. From a bowl-tying standpoint, if you're at the Fenway Bowl and their committee, you want Boston College in that game. That, that's what you want. I mean, the, the thing with a lot of these bowl games you guys have to remember is, and and you probably know this, is they're always going to prefer to have teams come in that can sell tickets. That's their number one objective. And so they have a tendency to regionalize a lot of them, especially the lower-tier bowls. So if you're the Fenway Bowl committee, you, you actually like this because you're like, you know what, if they could find a way to – to win on Saturday, then it's a no-brainer to, to offer them. But even if they lose, it's six and six, you offer them because they're gonna sell more tickets than anyone else that's gonna come so, in
2: here. So I absolutely hear you. My thing is they've done that family thing before, or as a program, I mean. Are we sure they even sell that many tickets? You know, like if if this is No, season, I
0: agree. You're because, right. I don't think they will. It's a very fickle season, fan base.
2: Yeah, and if this season starts a down, no one's gonna to want to go sit, especially on a Wednesday morning. In December, 11 a.m., I'm not
0: sure if people are really going to go to that game. Well, here's the thing. Well, well, we'll see. I mean, it's a bowl game. So even even sure. in a place like this where everybody jocks the pro sports teams and pretends like they're the greatest thing in the universe, the truth of the matter is it's still a bowl game, and I think you're going to get people that have an interest in it that are going to want to go. The problem here, with in my opinion, is, is that every time they have a game at home, your coach has to, like, practically come out on a Tuesday – and and I don't want to say beg the fans to be there, but he's got to give his sales pitch to the fans to be there. That's a big part of the problem of Boston College, fellas. The coach shouldn't have to come out and give it a, give the old sales pitch. Hey, come on out and watch us play. We're young. We're exciting. We got this guy. We got that guy. We need you there. We need your energy. We feed off at all these cliché-ish things that coaches say. A coach shouldn't have to do that. But that is where this program is right now. and it'll be interesting to see moving forward especially if they lose Saturday where they end up and how they do in that bowl game because if let's say they don't finish with a winning record again that is a major disappointment right now for a program that was that had so much momentum coming into the season after last year after what they did in in recruiting this offseason they had so much momentum the the conference was down. The schedule lined up. Everything was in place for them to finally break through, and it didn't happen, and I'm not sure it's ever going to happen. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just being honest here. Every The stars aligned for them this year, and it and it didn't happen, and that's pretty disappointing.
2: Yeah, and I think, I think below – sorry, Adam, real quick. I think below 500 is now on the table. If they do get to that Fenway Bowl, last year Jeff hathley talked about – you know, they passed up on the bowl opportunity because it's usually a chance to go on vacation, hang out with the guys, see someplace new. Do they really give a damn about going to Fenway? You know, so they could easily no-show. No right. You no You're show not going anywhere.
0: You're going to take exactly. a bus ride there.
2: Exactly. So they could no-show then too.
1: Yeah, I just feel like to John's point and to your point, Kevin, is that this this seems like, oh, this is what sort of happens to B.C., and it doesn't matter who the coach is. Like, we all agree, is a very good coach. But like, this is like a BC thing. Like, they win the first three or four games, you know, against a Patriot League team and, and stuff like that. And then, right. you know, reality hits in the middle of the schedule, and then it's sort of seven and five, seven and six, something like that. Um, and that's just sort of been the routine for BC for a while now. And it's going to take a lot to sort of break out of that cycle, because it feels like it's a, bigger than a coach. It's bigger than a single team. It feels like that's what the program is is locked into right now. And uh, I do look. I still I still believe that Halfley can 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 win. But like you said, John, this is so disappointing to have this sort of build up to this year, and then have the same thing happen over again. It's like Groundhog Day. It's like oh, we're in the same day uh so yeah it's just it's tough i i think i think halfley's a great recruiter i think he's a very good coach um and i th- i think he can sort of break them out of this cycle but i thought it would have been this year what it it seemed like this would have been the year for it
0: yeah i agree and, and again i think that when you look at the, the history of this program particularly the recent history of this program they've had that one season every 15 to 20 years, that's that's a season to remember, you know, whether it be 84 or 07. They they've always had these seasons that you forget, you, you never forget. I mean, as a kid, I remember the kick against Notre Dame, my senior year in high school. They go on a South Bend and win. And I love those Coughlin teams with Foley and Mitchell and and those guys. But again, and BC football was in a different place in this region in those years. You gotta remember the Patriots were awful that BC football was more important than the Patriots were at one point. I know people are going to say, oh, don't say that. You can't tell me that if you lived around here and you remember the early 90s when, when you know, Rod Russ was the coach of the Patriots and then Coach Mack comes in to save them from Syracuse. They were awful. And so BC football was was a big deal. Coughlin had the program rolling. You had Glenn Foley at quarterback. People loved the Eagles. But since the emergence of the Patriots, obviously, in the Belichick-Brady era, they've taken a back seat. But Part of the reason they've taken a back seat is, is they just can't seem to break this rut. Now, when Tom O'Brien was here, they were a much more competitive program. I feel like this, this six and six, seven and five rut that they're in, I think this is a post-O'Brien thing. I think this is this is a post-Jagazinski thing. I think this is something that really started with Frank Spaziani and then it carried over to Adazio, and it seems like it may be carrying over to Halfley, even though he's a much better recruiter than those guys were and he's getting four-star talent and he's connected a lot more with the fan base than those guys did
1: you you make a great point about o'brien because o'brien had some good teams and he went to really good teams beat boise state in the bowl out there on the blue turf like a bunch of good good teams but for some reason i don't think he ever connected to the fan base
0: oh no he was let me tell you i i was around the program then in fact I was around the program in those years, and I knew Jerry Peter Cuskey. I was I had talked to them about possibly GAing there, and I can tell you this: Tom O'Brien was a very good football coach, but he was about as interesting on a personal level as white rice. I mean, he was he was he was as plain as it gets. Yeah, there was not much there. So he is literally the the antithesis of Jeff Affley. Yeah, fifth Athlete, I think is a great personality. He's a great guy to be around. He's easy to connect with. Tom O'Brien, mm, he was a he was a glass of milk. But but he they really won, won. They won. But they won. Good. They had good right. season. They so, did uh, because I think he was a very disciplined coach. He had a good staff yeah. around him, yes. and I think they did a really good job in recruiting. But I also think the landscape at BC was a lot different then than it is now. The ACC is a different animal. Yeah, And I think that's a big part of it.
2: Yeah, yeah. And just looking ahead to next year, too, I know, you know, it's still a bowl game and a regular season game left. But next year will be halfway's at least I think, his first true recruiting class. Um, So it'll be interesting to see kind of what differences are there um, in that regard as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the one thing that they've done really well is is they've recruited. And where I do think there's hope is that I think a lot of the talent they brought in is going to start to develop – this offseason, next season, and I do think he can get the program to a better place. But I think this, it's hard because it's hard to evaluate a coach their first two seasons. It's just that everything lined up in a a way that they could have capitalized on it, and it hasn't happened, and I think that's what's disappointing. The season that we were envisioning, you usually don't have until year four or even five, depending on the level you're at and the amount of time you're going to get. So it's disappointing, but... It is still only year two, and I think that's an important part of this. Um, all right, let's uh, shift gears here. We're going to stay with college football. Before we do that, I just want to shout out to uh, Dill's Place, Dylan Muse, talented dude, holidays are around the corner. If you want that creative gift that you can't find at the mall or Amazon or anywhere else you shop, then check out Dylan's Etsy page. He's got some great stuff on there. He will make you a gift that your family member or loved one will remember. Reach out to Dylan. Tell him what you're thinking. He'll bring your idea to life. Go to his Etsy page and see some of his other items that he himself has made. I'm telling you, when it comes to this time of year, it's all about that wild wow factor, right? Even though I think that's one of the reasons I despise Christmas, but it's about the wild wow factor. Well, if you want the wild wow factor, check out Dylan's Etsy page. All right, let's uh, talk some Holy Cross Sacred Heart here. Of course, the Crusaders and the Pioneers are in the FCS playoffs. They're going to play this Saturday at Fit and Field. I thought this was an interesting matchup. I love it because it's two programs we cover. Um, but Holy Cross, impressive finish of the season. They finished 9-2. and two. When you look at this matchup at first glance, you think, all right, this is, this is a good matchup for Holy Cross potentially. This could be that breakthrough game where they win a playoff game and take that next step. But I would caution you to pump the brakes because – this Sacred Heart football team won the NEC. They're pretty good, and I'll tell you why. But first of all, no, first things first, I should say, your thoughts on Holy Cross getting in and hosting a playoff game.
2: So I think it's I think it's awesome that they have a home game. I mean, at this point, it's really the only thing they hadn't done. Um, you know, your 3 as champions in the Patriot League, they rolled every team they played during their, their six-game win streak. That Harvard loss, it seemed to wake them up because um, they've been a different team since then. Uh, it's funny, I had the same thought you know when the announcement was made of who the matchup was. It's like, ooh, you know that's not a that's not an ideal draw right off the <laughs> bat. so um Maybe. but no, I mean it should be a great atmosphere there um Again, good for Bob Chesney for again, just making more history with this program and um, again, it should be a great day and uh, I would not be surprised though if um, if Sacred Heart made it a game made it a game or even won on the road.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think it could be a, a, a close game. I'd say Holy Cross is definitely the favorite, but I think that this has just been a great season for Holy Cross. They keep getting better and better every year with Chesney, um, and I like Sluka, the, the sort of dual threat quarterback who can also who's, who's become even a better thrower as well. So um, you know, hey, for either team, you get by this game, you get Villanova. <laughs> So it's yeah. uh, it's going to be tough either way. But I think it's, I mean, no matter what happens, a great season for Holy Cross.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think this is going to be a tough matchup for them. You know, Holy Cross has been pretty consistent on offense, pretty consistent on defense, especially since that Harvard loss. You know what you're going to get, their dynamic on offense. They can run the football with Sluker and Oliver, but they can also throw the ball. Uh, Siderman may play as well, and I think he factors into their ability to throw the ball. they get a talented receiving core. And then defensively, they're physical, especially their front seven and their secondary is aggressive and they're very opportunistic. But where I think this could be a – I'm not going to say a bad matchup, but where I do think it could be a tough matchup is Sacred Heart is not going to come out slinging it. They want to run the football. They want to run the football with Julius Chestnut. They got him back. You got Grant in that backfield. They're a dynamic one-two punch. And then they play really good defense. And I think – Sacred Heart at the beginning of the season was very inconsistent. But from the midway point on, they turned it on. And they played like they were the preseason favorite in the NEC, and they played like it from the midway point on. And so on paper, I think this could be a tougher game than people think because Sacred Heart's going to run the football, shorten the game. They play good enough defense that they can get some stops. And this is the kind of game where they can hang around in the fourth quarter. And Chestnut's a dude. He can take a game over. So I, I think to me, this isn't an ideal draw. It might be an ideal draw in that you get the home playoff game and you don't have to go on the road and you're the higher seed and you're the favorite because you play in the in the quote-unquote better league. But I'm not sure, if you take Holy Cross out of the equation, I'm not sure there's much of a difference between the rest of the Patriot League and the NEC right now, fellas. The NEC is – Brian finished seven and four. They were pretty good. At the beginning of the season, Merrimack was playing really well. Duquesne had a decent season. St. Francis, up until they lost, had a good season. Central Connecticut State, under Ryan McCarthy. They're turning a corner there now. That's a program that's on the rise in the NEC. So the NEC, in my opinion, pound for pound, if you take Holy Cross out of the equation, might be a better league right now than the Patriot League. So if that's the case... I think this has the potential to be a game. Now, that being said, I think Bob Chesney knows he has a talented football team and he knows he has a good coaching staff. These guys are going to be ready to play. They're not going to be surprised by anything that Sacred Heart does. But I'm telling you, the Pioneers have had a good season and their formula is conducive to winning on the road in the playoffs. All right, so let's uh, let's shift gears here now again. But before we do that, I want to take a – Second here to thank Ken Nally and Championship Award guys. Ken and his team sponsor our Player of the Week and our Coach of the Week. They've done a tremendous job with that award all season. I also want to give Ken a shout-out. Ken coaches at North Attleboro High School, and the Red Rocketeers advanced to the Division Three Super Bowl after their 28-10 victory over Bill Ricca on Saturday. North Attleboro will be playing in the Super Bowl for the second time in four years. Congratulations to the Red Rocketeers. And our good friend Ken Nally and his team over a championship award, guys. All right, uh, let's get into some high school talk here to wrap this thing up this week. One, so, so go ahead. I,
1: there's just one other thing: uh, Maine beating uh, UNH in 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 college. That that video you retweeted or quote tweeted of uh, Nick Charlton talking to his team that was awesome. I, I yeah, he's, he's
0: tremendous. He is yeah. tremendous, and I can't wait to 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 reach out to Coach Charlton and get him on. Look, here's the thing about Maine. They struggled at the beginning of the season. Their first four weeks, it was a struggle for them. But it speaks to the kind of coach he is and the kind of staff they have up there. They were able to flip that switch, and they won five of six, and they did it in impressive fashion. They go down to URI. They beat URI 45-24. Then the next week, they dominate UMass 35-10, and then they win the Bryce-Cowell musket this week in their rivalry game against UNH. I mean, that, that was an impressive finish to win those three games. UNH was a team that at the beginning of the season was, was a team that people thought could potentially contend for CAA title and be a playoff team. They were ranked at the beginning of the season. Now, they had injuries. They're young. That all ended up catching up with them. I saw them at the end of the season against URI. But you know what? Had Tim, and I'm glad you brought it up, Adam, had Tim to Nick Charlton and that staff impressive finish elijah barnwell the rutgers transfer was awesome for them down the stretch they, they got some good quarterback play from Derek robertson when joe fagnano was out they got fagnano back they had a talented receiving core they turned it around their defense played much better that was a big win for maine on saturday and good for them and i think this is a program now that is on the rise in the caa and they could again be a factor next season they've got a lot of guys coming back all right, let's uh pivot back to high school football here though. And the Super Bowl matchups have been determined. Two things I want to do here real quick. I want to get your thoughts on this past weekend and just some initial thoughts on the Super Bowl matchups next week. Uh, I think um I think the Super Bowl
1: matchup's are gonna be awesome. The state title games. Um I think there's a bunch of there's definitely a bunch of rematches um in in this in this thing, but um you know, and as far, as far as the the venue and everything like that, I think the MI did the best they could. Yep. A lot of the people who are complaining about it don't have realistic expectations of what could have actually been done on the matter. Uh, and I think Danny V has been very vocal about that, and I agree with him. Um, and it's going to be fun. Look, would we all like to have Super Bowl Saturday? Yeah, but hey, the Revo- Revolution are going to be there. You know, we'll – We'll, we'll see these games anyway. Uh, they're in the middle of the week, some of them, that's fine. Um, kids are just going to be excited to play at Gillette, and I'm happy for them. Uh, this is going to be an unbelievable opportunity and so many great games.
2: Yeah, just in terms of games this past weekend, um, Central Catholic was so impressive. It was one of those things where going in, you had the feeling that every dog has its day, um, and that felt like what that was for them. Um, and then, yeah, me, uh, and uh, me and
0: me and Kirch motivated them, by the way, apparently, apparently <laughs> us picking against them was a motivating factor, which I love. I do enjoy that. And, and, and look, I love coaching high school kids. I've been I've been a football coach for 30 years, but it cracks me up when kids say stuff like that. Like yesterday, I'm covering the, the uh, Hendrick and LaSalle championship game down in Rhode Island, the state championship game, not the D1 state championship game the state championship game. They get their own championship game because they dominate year in and year out. But Eric Rube, who is, um, he writes for the Providence Journal, and Eric does a great job down there. I equate Eric to what Brendan Hall was up here when B. Hall and Scott were doing the ESPN Boston. Brendan had a way to get the, the kids going. He got them fired up on Twitter and with his picks and predictions. Uh, Eric does that down in Rhode Island, and Eric picked LaSalle to beat Hendrick in 2810. And believe me when I tell you, the Hendricken crowd let him have it yesterday at the game. It was fantastic. And to Eric's credit, and he's a he's a great guy. He went over and he he played into it. It was it was it was good stuff. But you know, after the game, Brandon, Brandon Duran was a hell of a player for Hendricken. Uh he's a Kentucky baseball commit, but he could very easily be an FBS scholarship football player. He talked about after the game how his prediction motivated the team and you know, we heard it and we had fired us up and got us to play better, yada, yada, yada. Look, with all due respect, you came out and you played the game. And with all due respect to those kids, if you care what me and Kirchin think or Eric Rube thinks, then, I don't know, you might you might want to you might want to prioritize your thought process during the week of a game. Because what we think doesn't mean crap. What matters is your performance and how you play and winning the game. Focus on that, not me and Kirchin and Rube in Rhode Island. Anyway, continue. <laughs>
2: Um, i forgot what i was gonna say no um, um,
0: what a surprise
2: no um well you would do a tangent there for a minute but um, I, I
0: tend to do that when i do anything media related i flip <laughs> out for no reason um
2: no and then saturday i was at um duxbury and foxborough hell of a game uh foxborough was up 14 nothing early um duxbury somehow found a way to to kind of shut down Dylan gordon which no one was really able to do all year um and then matt Festa just kind of took over that five touchdowns so um, another great weekend of football. And and Adam, you talked about Joette. We might still have a Saturday, um, depending on, you know, that Monday game and all those Monday games and what the Revolution do. But, no, it's it'll be a great week. It's a three-day. I wrote Football Palooza, you know, the, today on the site. Um, it, it is what it is. And um, I'm sure, again, for the Western Mass teams that are playing at five on that Wednesday, it might be a little bit tough. But, overall, it should be a great week of football.
0: Yeah, and Saturday I went to the Springfield-Central-Franklin game. That's one of the best games I've seen in my 30 years in in, in football as a coach involved in football. Um, it was fantastic. I can't even begin to tell you. The final was 60-49. to 49. First things first, kudos to Ian Bain and that staff. Ian is a terrific offensive coach. He had a terrific plan. Franklin is really, really good, folks, and they could have very easily won that game. And and really, Springfield Central had no answers for them defensively. They adjusted in the fourth quarter; and they were able to to get a couple of stops, but they had no answers for the first three and a half quarters. Really, Franklin was able to match them. The problem with Springfield Central is the same problem you're going to run into when you're playing a CM. They just have so much big playability that it it really it's hard to keep to keep up with them. You can't you can't keep up the pace. I mean, you know, you got William Watson who just knows how to, you know, extend plays outside the pocket, and he has such a natural chemistry with his receivers. Uh, you know, you got Joe, Joseph Gordon, who was just a man among boys, made a highlight touchdown catch. It's one of the best catches I've ever seen. It, it was just so much skill on display on that football field between both teams. Shane Kindred from Franklin is very impressive. I think he's an FCS receiver. I think at the, at the very least he can play at a Bryant, a Merrimack, or or sacred heart. Um, Will Tracy is another terrific athlete. He made a sick one-handed catch for Franklin. It was a great game. And then the uh, second game I saw at Shrewsbury on Saturday, Marblehead and Westfield. Very impressed with Jim Rudloff and the Magicians. They have the state's best winning streak right now at 17. Very well-run program. Josh Robertson, their quarterback, is a field general. And I don't use that term often, but he's so smooth, so under control. He can run that offense in his sleep. George Percy at tailback you got Connor Cronin who's a terrific athlete for them. That Division 3 Super Bowl Marblehead and North Hatterboro, is going to be one hell of a football game. That might be the best game of the 8 in yeah. my opinion in terms of it being a a competitive back and forth kind of game. So uh and then of course yesterday as I mentioned earlier I went down to LaSalle Hendrickson. Here is where I'm going to make the counter argument to the playing at Gillette Stadium. The atmosphere At that game yesterday was effing. I I should just drop the F bomb at this point. Who cares? It was effing awesome. There were 4,000 people at Cranston Stadium. And as soon as you walked in, it felt like a big game. It felt like a championship game. The crowd was into it. I mean, the media, the Rhode Island news stations do a tremendous job covering high school football. It, It just had a big game feel to it. And you just. You couldn't help but get caught up in it, and never mind the fact that the pace of the game was insane. I couldn't keep up on Twitter. I'm typing a tweet after a score, and next thing you know, Hendricken kicks off to LaSalle, and Josh Gib- you know—Gibbons brings it back for a touchdown, and you're like, "Okay, uh, I caught the tail end of his run. Let me put it on Twitter." Like, yeah. it's just one of those things that you can make the argument if you could find the right venue in Massachusetts. Bringing the Super Bowls back to a venue like that might be better. I I See, I have an interesting perspective because I've covered the Super Bowls at Gillette, but I've also coached in Super Bowls at Gillette. So I think that that gives me a better perspective than anybody. Yeah, I'm going to toot my own horn. So screw the rest of you media types in Boston who think you have a perspective on it. I have a perspective on it. I'm kidding. But my point is, <laughs> Look at Stone. Don't don't you lose patience with me? No, no. <laughs> but what I'm saying is, I see both sides of the argument. All kidding aside, I, yeah. I I loved. I will say this: I loved coaching at Gillette. It is an a super cool experience, and the kids loved playing there. The, you know, the three years we went at KP, we went three straight years. Our kids loved it. It's a special place. It's a special feeling. But there is a small part of me yesterday that was like, how cool would it be if we found a venue? like this in Massachusetts where you can play those championship games and have four, or 5,000 people, It, I can't tell you how awesome it was yesterday. Yeah, There's something I, to be set for that.
1: I agree. The thing, I mean, I love those venues too. It's just that like which ones are left because yeah. I, I remember covering games at BU, those games were my favorite, man, yeah. because it was the perfect size to be absolutely full, and it was electric, and it was mm. just – great and it was in boston and but i i just don't think there's many of those uh that are that are left that are still on the table and but i do think the the trump card for all of this is the kids love to play at gillette they and do. if they have the option they they're do. going to want to play there but like if it were up to me i would love to go back to bu and have those games those are so much fun uh i prefer a smaller setting because i think like you said the atmosphere when when the stands are packed, with the atmosphere when the stands are packed, or what you sort of want in any big game, uh and you obviously don't have that at Gillette, but I'm I'm hoping for some big crowds. I'm not sure we're gonna get them, but I'm hoping. Yeah, for- I think it's gonna
0: be tough to get them for those three o'clock games. Yeah,
1: especially.
2: oh yeah, yeah. And, and real quick, just to those, you know, both your points. I remember going to and covering games at Bentley, um Super Bowl games, and that was awesome, especially with the new field the setup they had. So. Um, and yeah, and Worcester and state? A couple of years ago was all was surprisingly pretty good too. So I think it can happen. But you guys said it. I mean, Joette, that experience you can't beat it. Um, they're doing the pancake breakfast there tomorrow too. Like, there's just something about that whole week, and especially even adding Thanksgiving to it this week. It just it makes for a, some really special memories.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and the the problem you have. I mean, I've I've gone to Super Bowls at Nickerson Field. And I've gone to Super Bowls at Curry College, I've gone to Super Bowls at Bentley, it's, there's, again, it it has a big game feel, because you got a lot of people in a small area, obviously, when you're in an NFL stadium, we're not in Texas here, where they're going to, they're going to get 40 to 60,000 people at AT AT&T Stadium for a, for a championship game, because football is life in Texas, literally, if you've ever been to Texas, it's life, but that being said, I just think the experience of playing in Gillette is is awesome. I hope that they can continue the partnership. I'm not sure they will, um, but I hope they do, because I think it's a really cool experience for the kids. It gives you something to look forward to. You know, it's like when you play those, those tournament basketball or tournament hockey games at the Garden. Like, it's something you look forward to. The kids look forward to it. They want to participate in it. It's, it feels important. You're playing in a professional sports venue. So, like I said, and I got to tell you, from a coaching standpoint, it's so different being at Gillette than a regular high school field or even small college field, because it's just like you're looking around and you're like, wow, this is, this is, this place is huge. And then, of course, anytime anything happens that you think is going against you, you look at the jumbotron. So, it's, you know, it's it's a pretty cool experience, and I think the kids should continue to get the opportunity to play there. Obviously, with the Revolution making this playoff run, I'm not going to get into bashing soccer here, but it is what it is. And you just – I think, Kevin, you said it. You just have to adjust, and you're just going to play the, the three days. It'll be a football palooza, and and that'll be that. All right, any final thoughts here, gentlemen?
2: Uh, just a couple things real quick. Harvard and Yale, obviously, we were there this weekend. Phenomenal ending to the season for Harvard. Um, and then on the other side, not so good. Um, Rhode Island really had a case to get in um, to the FCS playoffs, and they were one of the last three out. So um, just congratulations to them. It went a hell of a year. Uh, and then Thanksgiving football is back this week for, you know, the first time since 2019, which kind of gets lost, you know, with the playoffs involved. But um, it just should be a, good, a great couple of weeks of football here, as we seemingly keep saying every week.
1: And, and then uh, there were the final... The Bulls over the NEPSAC games, um, you know, uh, it, it looked like Loomis Chaffee had a nice win over Milton Academy, uh, Avon Home Farms, Deerfield teams like that. Choate all had very good games, um, and uh, so yeah, it was a uh, it was a good uh, good ending to the NEPSAC season as well.
0: Yeah, and I just kind of want to build off of what you said, Kevin, about Harvard winning the game, the 137th edition. That was a great game. Our Ryan Barry was down there covering it for us. And uh, it was just typical Harvard-Yale, back and forth. That's what makes that rivalry so awesome. Their games are always good, year in and year out. If you look at the history of that rivalry, there's very few times that it's been lopsided on either side. And most people think Harvard leads that all-time series, but it's actually Yale. But it was a tremendous game, back and forth game. Harvard comes from behind to win. Great season for Tim Murphy and his crew. Look, the Ivy League was wide open this year, but I think – When the dust settled, it was Dartmouth, Princeton, and everyone else. I think Harvard was right there with them, but I think those two teams were were a notch better. Um, Yale hung around in the race there for a while. Columbia hung around in the race there for a while, but it was a really, really good season of Ivy League football. We love covering the Ivy League here at New England Football Journal, and we're going to continue to give you as much Ivy League coverage as we can. I'm glad you also mentioned Thanksgiving. You know, One of the things that's being lost in the shuffle here with the playoffs and the statewide playoff and the scheduling of the games at Gillette is Thanksgiving. And there's going to be a lot of great games on Thursday. Obviously, you got Wellesley Needham, which I know you're going to be at Stone. Marblehead Swamps, How about that? They're both undefeated. They're both going to a Super Bowl. And it was interesting because when I interviewed Jim Rudloff after the game on Saturday, he openly said, "I, I hate the idea that we have to play them. It, it, it pisses me off, but we have to play them because it's Marblehead Swan Scott, we're two and a half miles apart. It's one of the best high school rivalries in the state. It matters to the towns. And this is, this is the argument that I always make with people who think we should just get rid of Thanksgiving. Well, good luck telling those two communities they're not playing on yeah. Thanksgiving morning because yeah. and, and with all due respect and I'm, and I know I'm extending the show here and you know what, I don't care, whatever, but I say good luck because Kevin, you've covered your fair share of Needham Wellesley games. Good luck telling those fine folks, you're not playing on Thanksgiving morning. It matters to those communities. And it matters. And with all due respect to the winter sports coaches, it matters a hell of a lot more than a regular season game in basketball or hockey. If if you have to push their sports back a week to, to give football the extra week and then to give the kids an extra week off, then fine, do it. But at the end of the day, to sit here and say, well, let's get rid of Thanksgiving, it ain't going to happen in places like that or North Attleboro, Attleboro. Those schools want to play, period. Mansfield-Foxboro, 90th edition this year. They want to play. It's not Thanksgiving's not going anywhere. I think people need to let go of this pipe dream. It's not going to happen.
2: Yeah, and if there's any doubt about how, you know, how much people care about Thanksgiving, we obviously broke the news last week that Mike Lynch won't be doing his Channel 5 show anymore, and just the vitriol – and the anger people responded with um, just speaks volumes about, again, how much it still matters around here.
0: It does matter because it's an awesome tradition. And I don't care. I'm going to bash about it. Of course, I'm a biased football guy. That's why, I, that's why we do this. I mean, if I wasn't a football guy, would I be dedicating my time year-round to football? No. But my point is, we're just going to get rid of... We're going to get rid of Thanksgiving, a day that still generates a fairly decent gate for these schools, too, the the host schools. That's the other thing that people don't realize is that that gate for years was a big part of the athletic department budget. Now, they don't make the same amount of money that they used to on those games, but they're still important. And We shouldn't be measuring their importance based on what the gate is. I coached in 2009 in the Franklin KP Thanksgiving game, and it was for the winner won the Hawk and went to the playoffs. There was over 7,000 people at that game. Like, are you kidding me? Like, So let's not sit there and pretend like this doesn't matter. It matters. And we need to stop acting as if the solution is to get rid of Thanksgiving and do this and do that. No, the solution is to extend the season a week and work around Thanksgiving and give the kids some time to transition from fall to winter sports. You do it from the winter to the spring. I don't understand why you can't do it from the fall to the winter. And I know that, again, winter coaches don't want to hear it, but. That's the only solution to solve both of those issues. You yeah.
1: Uh, it's, Go ahead, Adam. It seems like when this discussion comes up, uh, there there is the, the faction of the uh, argument that will say, well, you know what, we'll just play Thanksgiving and not have a playoff. <laughs> you know? Because <laughs> uh, I, I believe you can have both, you know? And we do have both right now. So, um, you know, it's... it's it, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do have a good successful playoff and a Thanksgiving game because you know you never want to see the teams uh trot out their JV players for the game like you've seen a bunch of times you're gonna see game.
0: it this week too though. Oh yeah. Definitely. I mean I, the truth of the matter is you look at I just mentioned Mansfield Fox Bro. They just played Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Four days later, they gotta turn around and play the Thanksgiving game. So the MIA pretends that they're all about player safety. All these organizations pretend they're about player safety. Well, if you were really about player safety, they wouldn't be playing three or four days after they played a playoff game. And I get it. To be playing a playoff game on a Tuesday after Thanksgiving isn't necessarily any safer. But my point is the only way that we can have a true system that works is to extend the season a week. And they don't want to do that. And Connecticut did it, and it works fine. But apparently in holier-than-thou Massachusetts, we can't do that because we have to start making some BS argument about equity and all this other nonsense. It has nothing to do with equity. The bottom line is our, our football system in this state for a long time has been broken. Every four years we have a new system. The only way to fix it is to play 10 games, including Thanksgiving, and have the playoffs after. They don't want to do that, so until they're willing to do that, we're going to continue to go through these recycled systems that don't make any sense and 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 only appease half the people. Half the people like it, half the people hate it. So
2: yeah, and just to add on real quick too, you're telling seniors that may have just lost a playoff game, you know, had their dream of going to Gillette stopped. You got to get up for one more game four days later. Like, how is that fair to them? So it's just, mm-hmm. just to that point, it's. Not if it makes sense. It's
0: stupid. You should not be playing the playoffs before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. It's dumb. It it is dumb. It makes zero sense. The consolation games make zero sense. And I don't want to hear from coaches that say, well, I needed to build the program. Well, you know what? You can build a program playing in in your league, playing your 10 games in your league, okay? Not everybody in your league is good. Maybe, I guess, if you're on the Kelly Rex on the Hawk. But (laughs) outside of that, my point is, It really makes no sense. And this is my issue with all of this stuff right now. And I know we need to go, and I don't want to make this more than it is. But I think until we get to a place where we accept that the only solution is to play the playoffs after Thanksgiving. I was talking about this with Jay Costa, the AD, the other day at Shrewsbury. And he's he's a supporter of the Connecticut plan. I'm a supporter of it. And the reason I'm a supporter of it is is I'm tired of watching high school football get screwed over with all these new systems every four years that don't make any sense. At the end of the day – What is the big deal with extending the high school season one more week? It really makes no difference. Never mind the fact that spring sports never gets outside the third Monday in March. I've coached lacrosse for years. I can honestly tell you most years that I coach lacrosse, we were doing wall ball in the gym the first Monday and the third, the third Monday in March, ball down, release. That's what we were doing. We weren't outside. So this idea that if we, if we added a week to the to the football season, somehow it's going to screw everything up. It's not. It's just that people around here think that somehow they're being robbed of something. So whatever. That's another conversation for another time. Let's, let's roll back. Any other final thoughts before I pull the plug on this thing?
2: No, like I said, best time of the year right now. So,
0: yep. Um, Couldn't agree more. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, I want to thank my partners, Adam Kirchner and Kevin Stone. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find Adam at Adam Kirchhen. You can find Stone at KStone06. You can find my big-ass loudmouth at UFTBJ. For Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin I'm John Serenitas. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you next week. Peace. See ya.